You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast episode number 40. Guys, have we got a story for you today. We talk all the time about how you are women of strength and how we much we admire and respect all birthing women and especially those who have been through a C-section. And today we have one of my very own doula clients. Her name is Janine and she just had a baby in December and she did everything right to prepare for a VBAC. In fact, she took our VBAC she preparation did. course in person. <laughs> it was so exciting. I, I love her. I love her husband. I love her kid. And I'm going to try not to talk for 30 minutes about how much I love this family. But, you know, she was doing so beautifully in labor, but some unexpected things came up and it ended in a repeat C-section. And I want you to listen through her story and I think you'll pick up on things about how in control she was of everything that happened to her and throughout her pregnancy and her birth story. And like I said, I better stop myself before I just tell <laughs> tell everything. I just tell the episode for her. But before we get into it, Megan has our review of the week. And today's review is from Semi-Crunchy Yogi on iTunes. And she says, my personal VBAC journey was actually directly influenced by Megan Heaton, which I am just reading this for the first time. So I'm blushing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Says one of the hosts on this podcast, she was my doula with my second baby, my 10 pound VBAC baby. I know exactly who this is. And so when she started the podcast, I knew I was going to be something special. I will always be passionate about VBAC and making sure women are given options, respect, and support through their birth journeys. And this podcast does just that. This podcast is so needed and addresses important myths about VBAC and birth. Thank you so much, Julie and Megan, for using your passion to support other women. You two are amazing examples of women of strength. Thank you so much for that. I seriously am blushing right now. That was so sweet of her. Every time someone says thank you to us, I always think of singing You're Welcome, like Maui (laughs) on Moana, because that's like the current favorite movie in my house. So they just took it off Netflix, which is like kind of rude. But anyways, I digress. (laughs) Um, But we're going to get right into it. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. All right. So you might be wondering what we're doing sharing a story of a repeat C-section. And I'm going to tell you why right now. Because the longer we've gone on on episodes, the more we have gone back in our minds to, you know, 80 to 90% of women who try for VBAC are going to be successful. They just are. 
But then there's that other like 10 to 20% who for, for whatever reason are not. And sometimes, you know, C-sections are medically necessary and sometimes they're needed and sometimes they're just wanted and that's okay. And we want to share this uplifting and inspiring story from my client, Janine, who's amazing. If you didn't already catch that vibe from me, because I feel like we don't want to exclude those people who do everything right and end up with unexpected changes in their birth plans and end up needing a repeat C-section. So we hope that you love this. Find our posts on Instagram um, about Janine and comment about how awesome she is because, oh yeah, just in case you didn't know, a few episodes back, I told a story about how um, a client interviewed me and her husband called me badass. And I know now you can say badass on the podcast because I did some research <laughs> without marking it explicit. This is that couple. This is that family. And anyways, <laughs> Janine, I know we were just texting about this the other day. But um, but yes, this is the badass family who had a really, really great an in control birth. Yeah. And and like I said, ah, and you stop talking, Janine. <laughs> are you <laughs> Let's ready? Let's turn it over. <laughs> Megan's like, shut up. I was like, I want to hear. <laughs> okay, <No>. Janine. <laughs> oh, you're fine. Well, first I just I feel very privileged to be the first repeat C-section. I, I it's hard not to use words like failed be back because mm-hmm. that's kind of what it feels like sometimes. Uh, you know, failed Polak, everything. And so it is It is a privilege to be able to share um, this story and, and hopefully help other people feel represented because it's true that it's not as represented. And sometimes it's, mm-hmm. it's really hard to, to not feel like a failure uh, with yeah. it. But, but it is true that, you know, I can you can still have a good story and you can have peace and, and like you said, feel like you're in control. Yeah, so uh, real quickly about my first, section I I kind of went into pregnancy and birth like I, I had read like what not what to expect when you're expecting things like that but I really just didn't think that I needed to know that much because my body was going to do it for me like you know my body was going to know what to do and it would just kind of happen and I didn't really feel like I was an active participant in it which is which yeah. is I know now is, is kind of a silly way to think but it's just kind of you know, women give birth and it happens, you know. Mm-hmm. So at the time I was working a full-time job at a desk job, so I really wasn't active and I, I gained a lot of weight and I was just super uncomfortable the entire pregnancy. So I wanted that baby out and I wanted him out now. <laughs> so I tried every, you know, uh, old wives' tale, you know, the eggplant, Parmesan, you know, the eating spicy things, castor oil. Like I, I really tried every non-scientific thing <laughs> to flavor. Um, and so I was 41 weeks and I started, I woke up early in the morning and I had like blood a little bit and I thought that I felt a gush. And so I was just like, okay, let's like, we go to the hospital now. I was GBS positive. So I was like, okay, this means hospital and baby. And so I, I went and we got there early Saturday morning and I was not my water had not broken and I was not dilated at all. I was like a one, which I'd been a one for several weeks. But the doctor was like, hey, like you're 41 weeks. We were going to induce you tomorrow anyway. We can start today. 
And so um, they did I start me on antibiotics right away, and they did Cervidil, they did Cytotec, they broke my water, I had Pitocin, mm. I had an epidural, I had, you know, every intervention possible, <laughs> pretty much. And like 40 hours later, I was only at like a three. Mm. And I was in a provider group, but I hadn't met all the doctors. And so there was a brand new doctor that I had just met, and he came in and he was like, I like you're not showing signs of infection we can continue waiting or we can you know have a c-section and the baby will be here in 30 minutes and I you know it was a tough decision like my husband and I talked about it and and we tried to mold over but I really just both of us were just like we kind of just want the baby to be here and and so we decided to have a c-section and um we prepared and we went in and and everything went smoothly and, and he was born, but I, and then after he was born, I started to sh- like shake uncontrollably and I got really nauseous and I was going to pass out and I, I started to feel what they were doing. And I had an epidural, but I, I just, I could feel it. And I was talking to the anesthesiologist and he kind of was just like shrugging his shoulders and I was like, I feel them sewing me up. I know what's happening right mm-hmm. now. Like they are sewing me up. And, and he just like, didn't know what to do. I realized now he probably was just like, the only other option is general anesthesia and we're not going to do that. But he just like was silent and I just, and that Mm. was really tough. But other than that, it was really great. And my son was nine pound, 12 ounces. um, So he's a big boy and, and the recovery was a little bit rough for that, but I was like, okay with it. I was like, this is my birth story. And that's what happened. And I didn't know that there could have been anything else. And then at my post-op appointment, the, the doctor was like, I know women who have had nine C-sections, like you can Whoa. still have a big family. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. Like it must not be that big a deal. But he didn't mention a VBAC at all. Or I don't remember him mentioning a VBAC mm-hmm. as like an option. It was kind of just like, okay, like you can have a ton of C-sections and be fine. And so I, um, when my son was a year, we decided to start trying again. And, and I had a chemical pregnancy, which was was very sad. Um, and then shortly after I got pregnant again, and then at 10 weeks, we there was no heartbeat, and so we had a miscarriage. Mm-hmm. And that was really hard, too. And, and so we were really nervous to try again. But, but we decided to go ahead and try. And so a couple months later, we got pregnant again. And um, we had some bleeding, which was scary at eight weeks. But other than that, like, it was, it was looking really good. My 21-week ultrasound, or my 20-week ultrasound, we had at 21 weeks, and baby was measuring like 98%, which is huge, apparently. And my placenta was um, like kind of cover, or they there was potential that it was covering my C-section scar, and so they were worried about that. So I had a couple more ultrasounds, and at 28 weeks, he was still measuring over 95%. And my placenta hadn't moved, and so they wanted me to see a specialist. And so I I was talking to this doctor I hadn't met before, and and I was like, well, why are we seeing the specialist for the size? Like, are are you worried baby's not developing properly? And she's like, no, we just want somebody else to tell you that it's not a good idea to have a VBAC. Hmm. Wow. I was like, okay, like, (laughs) that's weird, but but she totally serious and then she also told me that if I did have placenta accreta which is the worry with the placenta that according to what she knew with their doctors that they would have to send me to that it would mean a hysterectomy 
And so I was just like, you know, I was so nervous to see the specialist and, you know, just not sure what to expect. But so I saw a specialist at 30 weeks and my placenta was good, thankfully. But baby was measuring three weeks ahead. So there was, I was like, oh no, like he's going to tell me like that I can't have a VBAC and, and everything. Um, but he said, he used the VBAC calculator and he's like, you know, really you could um, have one. There's there's no reason that you couldn't have one. So I left like feeling elated. Like I wasn't going to have a hysterectomy and I could have a VBAC. Like, right, <laughs> yeah. So, but I knew that I would have to change some things. And so I started looking into a doula and I thought about switching provider groups because I knew that there were at least three or four providers that I had met in the group that specifically had told me not to have a VBAC or they, they weren't very positive when I talked to them about it. And so I knew that that was not going to be good. So I, I scheduled my 32-week appointment with a doctor at that practice that I trusted. He delivered my nephew and and I was actually there for that birth. And so I was like, okay, like I'll see what he says and kind of feel it out from there. And um, when I was talking to him, there I had a couple of major red flags. Uh, I was talking to him about the like that there were providers that I felt weren't supportive of me, and he said that all of the providers in that group follow the ACOG standards, so I wouldn't really have a different experience depending on the provider. Like it would all be about the same. Mm. And I was like, uh, that's not what they told me. <laughs> like, yeah. That's not what happened. But and then and he and then he told me that it didn't matter what hospital I delivered at, I would again be virtually the same experience. And so I was like, that also is weird. And so yeah. I yeah, and so I really was just like, I, I need to change, but I was so nervous because I was already in the third trimester and I was gonna have this monstrous baby and I just was afraid that nobody would have faith in me or support me and so I um emailed emailed y'all actually I found out about feedback and yeah. I listened to this podcast and I emailed you and and y'all recommended some, some providers and so I switched providers or I went to this one provider who came very highly recommended Megan had seen him too yeah. um he's awesome and uh, for Utah people yeah. it's Dr. Sean Edmonds yes <laughs> yeah. he's really great and then I actually, I probably in the similar email or about the same time, I asked if either one of you could be my doula. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I was just like, I need somebody who knows what they're doing. And I need somebody who knows about VBAC. And so I got a lot of really great support from you ladies. And, and so at 33 weeks, I met with um, Dr. Edmonds. And it's it must just be the the time of year. Like December must be just so busy. He was just so busy, yeah. and I kind of felt a little bit like he he brought up the VBAC calculator again, and he he says he's a, a realist, uh, an optimist, and a realist. But I, I just kind of felt like I was just talking to the realist the whole time. Like I I kind mm -hmm. of felt like like he wasn't giving me the encouragement that I needed because apparently I needed a lot of emotional support, and he he wasn't providing that for me you know he was just doing his job just making sure I knew all of the ins and outs of it but I um just didn't really feel like he supported me but he came so highly recommended that I knew that he was a better choice than my other providers so I stuck with it and then at 34 weeks I went to the VBAC class and it was awesome and we learned a lot 
And actually that night, I woke up in the middle of the night and I, my underwear was wet and I had fresh blood. And um, I called Julie up. It was like two in the morning. And I was like, <laughs> Julie, what do I do? <laughs> and and she, you told me to, to call the doctor's office. And, and I did. And they told me to go to the hospital. So I, I went to the hospital and I, I was kept bleeding. They couldn't do a ROM plus test because of the, the blood. And because I was bleeding, everybody just kept saying C-section, C-section. Like, and I just, my husband and I were just like freaking out because we're just like, are we having this baby? And we even get a choice, like what's going to happen. And Dr. Edmonds was out of town. And there was just a lot of miscommunication between the nurses and mm. him and the other doctors. And it, it was just a really hard experience. Like Julie came and visited and she was the sunshine and the darkness. And <laughs> um, it was really, it was just, we just kept getting differing information about when we would leave and when we would talk to Dr. Edmonds and yeah. just, just everything. It was Really hard. So we finally talked to him and they didn't think my water was broken, but we needed to monitor the bleeding. So I finally got to leave. Then at 36 weeks, but I was on bed rest. And then, sorry, I was, when I left the hospital, I was on bed rest. And then at 36 weeks, we did the growth ultrasound with the specialist again. And I had an appointment with the doctor right after. And the growth ultrasound at 36 weeks, my baby was estimated at weighing 10 pounds, 7 ounces. And so that's huge. Yeah. <laughs> and so I know those ultrasounds can be off, especially the bigger the baby, the more off they can be. But that was just daunting. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm only 5'2". And just like thinking about that and everything. And, and it was just really hard. And, and so talking to going to my doctor's appointment right after it was just kind of like a you know, it's, it's best if you have this baby sooner, like next week would be best if you had the baby next week, you know? <laughs> and so I just felt so much pressure to have the baby right away. And I was trying everything. Like I was birthing ball, red raspberry leaf tea, date, walking, I was doing stairs, mile circuit. Like I was trying to do everything I could to help baby get in a better position and hopefully help him come sooner. So at 37 weeks, I have my appointment and he checks my cervix and I am high and tight. He can't even reach my cervix. It's so yeah, far back. I remember that. Oh. It was so sad because I had been having contractions like fairly Forever. regularly before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he was just like, I'm not feeling the head engaged and I feel like I should at this point. And, you know, it was just kind of like, and I knew that like we would have the conversation about an induction or a possible C-section, like I felt like it was on the horizon and, and I was so just distraught. And so at like two in the morning, I sent Megan an email <laughs> and just asking you, I guess if um like, cause, the, cause I knew that, that this doctor was still recommended. And so I was like, why can't I click with him? Like, why is my best chance with somebody that I don't feel like understands me. And and so I sent this super long email and beautiful Megan, you sent this response back that was lovely and supportive mm-hmm. and you recognized the midwives. And I had to make the hard choice to decide at, at, you know, 37 weeks to change providers again. Yeah. And, and so I, I thought about it a lot, talked to my husband, I, I prayed about it and I decided to schedule an appointment with the midwife that, that you recommended, Megan. And 
And so at 38 weeks, I, I met with her for the first time. Her name's Kira Waters, and she's amazing. She is so and, amazing. She's awesome. <laughs> um, and I just, like, kind of just lost it at our first appointment. I just, like, was crying and just explaining everything. And she was just there. And she, I felt supported and in a way that, that I think only a midwife can really give because, and, and that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, because they are able to give you a little bit more time and a little bit more of that emotional support. And so I met with her and, and we were talking through things and I really felt like she was on my team. Yeah. And that and I, I finally felt that my birth team with Julie and my husband and Kira, that everything was like falling into place. And so at 39 weeks, we I went back and we I debated a lot about whether or not to have her check my cervix. But I feel like every other day, Julie, you can vouch for this. Every other day I was texting you (laughs) about like, this is my bloody show. And I've had contractions 10 minutes apart. Oh, wait. And then like the next day it would be like, oh, wait, like I had six minute apart contractions for two hours and they went away. And what about this? You know, I just. (laughs) Yeah. Having prodromal labor for days. Or yeah, for a long time. (laughs) There is, there is a, yeah, a lot going on and. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind you texting me. I love it when you text me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was I was reading through my text today, and and yeah, I just just like every it seems like every day it was a new update of like maybe today's the day, maybe today's the day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but yeah, so so at, um, that appointment, I, I decided to I was okay with her doing a membrane sweep, and I didn't want her to tell me how far dilated I was, and so she did it, and it was pretty painful so I I kind of knew that it, I wasn't dilated very much and um my husband followed her in the hall and and he she told him but he doesn't have a great poker face and so I knew <laughs> that I wasn't very far along and I I made him tell me and and I was I was barely a one barely yeah. and so she really had to kind of work work her finger in there and um so we and then we started talking and we had talked kind of possible induction because you know baby was going to be so big that maybe earlier was better and we we're kind of going through things and but I really wanted to give my body a chance because my body was doing something that it had never done with my first baby yeah. like I'd had Braxton Hicks with with my son but I I never had any of this I never had a bloody show I never had contractions this consistent and or strong and I I just knew my body was doing something. And so I wanted to give it more time on its own um, while at the same time feeling so much pressure. And so I, I remember I, I wrote out birth affirmations and I sent them to Julie and my husband. And, and one of them was like, I am not responsible for starting labor. Yes. I love like, it. Yeah. And w- another one was that like my body can handle a big baby. Mm-hmm. Like, like he, he will come out like, my body is made to do this. And so I felt very confident that if I went into labor on my own, that I could have a V-back. And so it was just getting my, helping myself to be ready for labor on its own. So another week goes by, it was 40 weeks, or I was 39 and six days or whatever. It was the day before my due date. And we go in and, and I'm just still like kind of freaking out about, how big the baby's going to be and, and if it's safe to wait a long time. And I'm just, you know, just trying to figure out everything. And so we decided to schedule an induction for 
it was on Monday was the appointment and we decided to schedule an induction, a fully bulb induction on Thursday night. And then she did a, another little membrane sweep and I was a solid one. So <laughs> a little Yay! bit of improvement. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but after that appointment, I just felt this weight lift off my shoulders and I felt like, like I did, like I was going to, no matter what happened, like progress was going to happen at the end of the week and my baby would be here. And I didn't have to worry about going to 42 weeks. And I didn't have to worry about, you know, making other decisions that would, you know, not potentially not be safe for baby. Like, you know, I just, I just felt such relief, which I never thought I would at scheduling an induction, but I did feel a lot of relief. And so the next day on my due date, I was still having contractions about 10 minutes apart, but they wouldn't, they weren't stopping. So like I would get up and walk around and they would still be there. And then they started getting stronger and stronger and stronger. And and so it was just kind of like maybe, and I actually had like mucusy, bloody show. Like, and so I was like, this might like be real. Like this really could be real. And so that night I, um, I tried to take a nap at like seven so I took like an hour nap and then tried to, to go to bed, but it was hard to sleep through the contractions because they were so strong. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I was able to, every time I woke up, I would time them and they were, they were consistently 10 minutes apart. And so about 1230, I wake up and I see that the contraction I just had is, it's now like 13 minutes apart. I'm like, okay, this is like fizzling out again. It's not a big deal. Like, it's Okay. And then I remember my baby moving and then hearing and feeling a pop and then being wet. <laughs> and so I, yeah, so my water broke. So I, I run to the bathroom and I'm in the tub and I'm just like flowing water. And every time I move, there's more. And, and so I'm like, wow, like this is happening. And so I called Julie up and talking. She's like, okay, take a shower and try to get as much rest as you can and eat something and and so I, while I'm in the shower, like the contractions start picking up. And so almost immediately I started having contractions that were four minutes apart. And so I was like, hey, like this is awesome. <laughs> I mean, it was terrible because they were really strong, but I was just like, okay. This but you is were doing it. Doing yeah. Something. Yeah. I was doing something. And so um, we kept going and they, they were staying consistent and, and getting a little bit stronger. And, and so we called my mother-in-law over to stay with my son and um then not long after we called julie over and um it's about yeah you about an hour later <laughs> it really wasn't that long like julie came over and was wonderful and, and helped me through and we were on the birthing ball and just kind of getting ready and trying to figure out our plan and the hospital that we were going to is 30 minutes away without traffic and and in during rush hour it's like an hour and a half away and so i was just like so nervous about that car ride to the hospital and it was like snowing a little bit so we just I decided that at 3 30 that that we were going to go to the hospital because I just could not get over how scared I was of that car ride like it's going to be terrible so Julie went in the back seat of the car with me and she was doing counter pressure and and helping me out through the contractions during the car ride so we get to the hospital at about four and I'm like, okay, it's, you know, well, we're here, but I don't actually want to get checked in, you know. So we wander the halls and we get locked out of one part. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> the, 
and uh, we're just walking the nobody's there because it's four in the morning and mm-hmm. we're wandering around and and I'm still gushing a little bit and I'm having contractions and they're they're just strong and and they I have to pause through them and they're still about like every four or so minutes apart so finally at six we decide to go to labor and delivery and I get checked in and there's a lot of debate about whether or not to do a rum plus test and we're like well I know my water broke so I don't know why we need to do a rum plus test and they check me and I after all of that after you know five hours of four minute apart contractions I am still a one and my cervix is still high and thick yeah that and, was so hard yeah it was devastating yeah you had done so much work so hard and and we were already all exhausted but um so my midwife came and we're talking she came about eight and we decided not to do any more cervical checks for a little while but the plan was just to get me moving as much as possible and so we turned on some music and we did a little dance party we did the rebozo and like shaking the apples which you went viral Um, did you know that Um, (laughs) yes shared that post You're famous. Well, you can't really see your face, but Will, Will, however. He is famous. He is famous. Yes. <laughs> Sorry, keep going. <laughs> well, no, it's good. I, I, um, but I was, I don't, yeah, it was probably good you couldn't see my face because it was probably in a lot of pain and, and it looked too good. But, but no, but it was, and, but the shaking the, the apples like felt really good. You know, like just we did a lot of things to help me get through the pain and, um, of the contractions. Because I was GPS positive, um, about 10, we started the first round of antibiotics just to, you know, make sure I had something in me. Then about 12, we did a cervical check, and I was still one centimeter, but baby's head had lowered a little bit. It was still really high, but it lowered a little bit. Yeah. And so at about 12.30, we decided to try to give me some relief. So we do a little bit of fentanyl. And it worked for like 10 minutes and then I just could feel it was just right back to the, the pain. And so we, we had a serious talk with my midwife and it was just, I was just so, I, I was breaking down and I was just not really able to, to handle the contractions very well and I was just so exhausted. And so we decided that we should have an epidural and, and kind of figured that would be the best to help me progress and, and get some rest. And so we get the epidural and while we're like, it's kicking in or something, is that what happened? And we were talking to the midwife. She came back during her lunch or something. And she talked about how she could feel like when she took my cervix last time, she could kind of feel like a bulging bag of water. Yeah. And Julie, thankfully, you are awesome and you oh. spoke up and yeah. <laughs> well, and you were like, can you, can we talk about that? Like, we, like, like her water, how can we still have like a bulging bag of waters there? Like, or I don't know if you want to. Yeah. What, well, what, what no, happened? I was just like, you know, because as a doula, I, I like to make friends with the staff. It's just better for everybody if, if I'm friendly. Cause some people dealt with aggressive doulas and things. Um, but I really did like Kara Water. She's really incredible. Well, I guess I really do like everybody that I thought maybe came out a little bit <laughs> wrong. But she said after the cervical check, she felt the baby's head and a bulging bag of waters. And 
and it had been like 30 minutes we were all talking and I'm trying to think about that in my mind. I'm like, you know, like a four bag or a hind bag. And, but if it was a hind bag, I'm like trying to figure it out in my head. But if it was a hind bag, then she wouldn't be able to fill the bulging bag of waters. But her water did break. Like we know her water broke. And so I couldn't make sense of it in my mind. So I just asked her, I just asked her to explain how there could be a bulging bag of waters when her water had already broken at like one o'clock in the morning. And so, yeah, you can take it back, Janine. (laughs) (laughs) And so um, Kira being, she just was awesome and just really, yeah, this is one of the things that I was like, I, I'm glad that she was, she was there because she was just so willing to take what you said and go with it yeah. and just be like, you know what, that, that kind of bothered me too. And so they, um, we decided to do another check because she just kind of wanted to feel what, what she was feeling before and kind of see a little bit more about it. And so while she was checking me again, her finger accidentally went straight through the bag and just popped it. It was like the best accident ever. <laughs> she was like, oh no, <laughs> she really did not mean to do it, but it worked. And so when she did it, she, um, kind of moved around to make sure there wasn't like any cord under baby's head or anything. And then immediately baby like dropped a little bit more and I, I dilated to a two. Yay! Like right there. That was like the best Yay! feeling. <laughs> it was pretty great. And so we decided I was going to to rest. And um, I think that's when, when did you leave? Um, um, I left when we decided that you needed to sleep because you were finally okay. progressing. We figured out what was what it was. And then and then it got out of the way and you were progressing. So we just decided to rest so baby could descend a little bit and that you would have energy. And I had some other obligations too. And so it kind of worked out. Um, not that I just leave any client, but um, sometimes when all the mom needs to do is sleep. And when mom is sleeping, then there's really not a whole lot um, that a doula can do. Yeah. And it's good for mm-hmm. doulas to go home and rest and recoup themselves. Yeah. So when the mom is ready. Um, we can be fresh. We can be fresh. Yep. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and so, yeah, we were just like, we had our game plan. And then I, they were doing my vitals and, and I had a fever. And so about four o'clock in the first, the first temperature was like 100.4. And then I was kind of sneaky, um, which I don't know how sneaky it was, but I, I, was shivering and I was so cold, but I refused to put a blanket on because I knew if I put a blanket on, then my fever would go higher. Yeah. <laughs> and I I did not want that. And so my, and so my fever went down a little bit at like five, it was like 99 and we did a cervical check again and I was three centimeters and 70% of face. So there was progress. And then we, and then I, it, it just, my fever just kept going up. And so my fever went above 101.5 and we were watching baby's heart rate and the baseline jumped from 130s to the 170s. And so they're saying that that indicates that that baby isn't responding well to the fever, that potentially baby yeah. has a, their own fever, his own fever. And, and so we really needed to consider a, a C-section at that point. And it was hard because we had made progress and you know, I, I was so sure that if I could have longer then then the baby could come and, mm-hmm. and that my body could do it. I just knew that my body could do it. 
And so um, my husband and I, we, we talked about it and we talked to Kira about it and, and we, we said a prayer and we just were trying to, to weigh it out. But really, in the back of my mind, I just knew that we we couldn't risk the baby. Like, the fever was only going up and his heart rate kept going higher and and I just I just knew that I I wasn't willing to to risk it anymore Mm -hmm. and so we decided to to have a c-section and and Kira was very supportive I don't I don't really feel like she pressured us or anything I'm sure she had her her obvious opinions like to herself but she really was just so supportive of like you said, like us making the decisions. And, um, and so we, we decided that. And previously, Dr. Edmonds had talked to Kira and was like, if you need anything, call me in, like, I will be there to help out if I can. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the, the awesome guy that he is. So Dr. Edmonds actually came in. I, can't, I think he might have actually happened to have been on call uh, that day too. Yeah, he was actually. But, <laughs> yeah, just, just luck turned out. So he came in and we got ready for the C-section. And the whole time I was like, I just knew that, and I still know that I can still have a V-back. Yes, like I, you can. Like, yeah, I, the whole time it was just like, I like this, this experience taught me and showed me that my body can do it. And, and even though it didn't finish you know it but that there weren't things that we could control but that like my body is capable of it Mm -hmm. and um of having a baby vaginally so I, i went in having a lot more peace about that and really just feeling like like i was in control of what was happening and i made sure the anesthesiologist up to that epidural dosage and <laughs> um, so, so I did not feel um, I did not feel anything but it's it's cool because my husband was able to take pictures so I didn't want to do the the clear sheet because I just didn't know if I could handle it but um, just kind of squeamish that way <laughs> um, my husband took pictures which is really great and um, he they this was the surprise I guess they um um, yeah, so they're doing everything. They pull him out, and everybody is just like freaking out. They're like, "This baby must be twelve pounds," and they're all just like passing him back and forth, and just like, <laughs> "Baby," and like, and so um, they rush him over to the NICU nurse that was there because he had a fever, and they weigh him, and he was eleven pounds, eight point three ounces. My chunky boy, huge. <laughs> Big baby. <laughs> and I think it's important and to know that you did not have gestational diabetes either. I did not. No. And I got tested at 28 weeks too. So it wasn't yep. even an early test. And I, yeah. And I never had sugar in my urine or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I just make big babies. I don't know. <laughs> so he had a fever of 1022. Um, mm. And so that was, so yes. And they said my uterus was really hot to the touch. And so they were able to to sew me up. I knew that I was in really good hands with both Kira and Dr. Edmonds there during the C-section, and it really it really was okay. And and because I had tried to be so active and I was doing so many things to prepare for birth, even though I started you know so late, 
and that preparation, my recovery was so much better. It was so much better than with my first. And like within a couple of days, I, it was like, I I hadn't had a C-section like, and I, and it was really hard to to remember that I just had major abdominal surgery Mm -hmm. and not push it too hard, but it was just such a different experience. What preparing your body physically for birth does, like, even if it's just, I mean, I didn't, I didn't do very much. I just, you know, I bounced on the birthing ball and I walked up and down stairs and stuff, but it, it made a huge difference. Well, I think mental preparation too speaks a lot to that because you did a lot of work in your headspace. Yeah, I did. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's kind of how it is. And I, I know that, uh, and I am going to do a lot more before I get pregnant to, to really try to be in the best shape and, and just kind of just be, be more ready from the very beginning and prepare for it. And I, I just know that, that I can do it again. So hopefully I'll be back on the podcast with an, with a, an actual VBAC story, but if not, then that's fine too. But I just, I feel empowered that my body did something that it never did before. And even though it, it didn't end how I wanted it, it it was progress. And I can still feel hopeful and feel peace about that. Yeah, that's great. You know, I think it's important, too, to notice, like, looking back, there were so many, like, small victories throughout your birth or throughout the labor and even into the birth. And I just, like I said at the beginning of this episode, I could, like, just rave all day and all night about you. But... I really like when you talked about, you know, switching providers, it's really hard for a woman to switch providers. Like it's hard, it's vulnerable. It's, you know, it, there's, there's a million reasons not to switch and, and not many women get the courage to do that. And you switched twice, which is amazing. And you switched from a really awesome VBAC provider to an, another awesome, you know, VBAC provider. But, um, you know, Dr. Edmonds is raved about here in the birth community just because of how VBAC supportive he is but your intuition was telling you that something about him wasn't quite right for you but that doesn't mean that anything's wrong with him it means that you're just freaking awesome at following your intuition because kira was a perfect fit for you she really was and it doesn't like say anything against shot edmonds and doesn't say anything like for kira even though kira is incredibly amazing but it says a lot about you because a lot of women just don't do that. They'll feel off. They'll feel off. They, they won't switch. And I just think that that made the biggest difference in how you're even, you know, even though it ended in a C-section, I feel like labor would have progressed very differently if you would have been um, with a different provider. And I'm glad that you, that you had the support and that you were as in control of your birth um, as you could possibly be with these unexpected circumstances. Yeah. And, and, you know, just every little experience that you had, every step of the way led you down that path of feeling that peace Mm -hmm. when you did make that decision. So I'm proud of you. Me too. (laughs) And um, you might not know this, but Janine is moving to Washington State. (gasps) And so I'm pretty sure that you need to find a house with an extra bedroom because when you get pregnant again, I'm just moving in in your third trimester. You're going to have to fly Julie out there. And you will not get rid of me. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, and we have lots of moms too from Washington on the podcast. And we have some friends too. So we can make sure to connect you to the birth community as well. (laughs) 
I would love that. <laughs> All right. Um, I just wanted to say one last thing. You know, like we talked about earlier, sometimes things take an unexpected turn and it and it doesn't matter how much preparation and how many things you did right, but those unexpected circumstances can really kind of like catch you off guard. And Janine, I'm sure that you are going through a process of mourning the vaginal birth that you didn't get, but also being excited and happy that your baby's here and that he's safe and that you are in control of your birth. And um, I said it before, I'll say it again, and I'm going to say it right now. You can have those feelings of being happy that you have a healthy and wonderful baby and he's pretty stinking cute. Mm -hmm. And you can also be sad that you didn't get the birth experience that you worked really hard for. And it's okay to feel both. And it's, it's okay for it to be complicated and it's okay to be hard. It's okay for it to you to feel that way. And so if anyone tells you that you should just be happy you have a healthy baby, you can high five them in the face from me. <laughs> just kidding. Don't <laughs> high five anyone in the face. But really, you know, just kind of like distance yourself from those people. And in order to process and feel all of those things, find someone that is closely connected to you, that believes in you and that that if they don't understand where you're coming from, that they can still sympathize with you and not, and just let you feel how you feel without telling you at least anything. Mm -hmm. so, and we're going to have actually a blog about that, how to, how to process through birth and how, or an unexpected birth and things you can do to prepare um, yourself ahead of time, even to have unexpected outcomes and things like that. And it's on our blog right now, the VBAC link dot com slash blog. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.